Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 116 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is May 5th, 2010. Happy Cinco de Mayo to everyone out there. we got a really good show for you this week on the podcast. We're going to talk to Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment. He was there up in the press box at the Trojan Huddle over the weekend. So we'll get his thoughts on what went down with the huddle. We'll answer some of your questions. We're also going to talk recruiting we got an extended recruiting segment with gerard martinez so he'll be the second half of the podcast so we'll talk about some of the new offers that went out what goes on during the may evaluation period all that lots of stuff to talk about recruiting as always if you have any questions or comments please drop us an email podcast at uscfootball.com we love answering your questions all the time and coach what's going on we're joining you with the first time you're not in catalina or anything this week right no, buddy, I'm not in Catalina. I'm back to uh, the drawing board. Spring practice is over. Recruiting, spring recruiting is out there. It's uh, tough to not be able to go out if I was a head coach from recruit because I love to recruit. And, uh, you know, a lot of the coaches now are out. The assistant coaches are out recruiting. But they that rule they passed a couple of years ago says uh, head coaches can't get out there and recruit. So I don't know what I'd be doing. I'd be going nuts. <laughs> So uh, I'd probably be checking on uh, what kind of day everybody had and getting on the phone and talking to as many people as I could uh, and keeping abreast. And I'd probably be talking. uh, This would be a great time for a head coach to take time to talk to the players individually uh, about spring practice and their performance and so on uh, during the spring. And if you coach offense primarily like Lane Kiffin does, it would be a great opportunity for him to spend some time with some of the defensive players and let him know that, you know, he's just as important as to him, the defensive side of the football is the offensive side and so on. You get a lot done during finals and so on, which I think finals started this week at USC. So, hey, it's almost over. Two weeks of finals and into the summer workouts and all of a sudden fall camp opens up. Yeah, the team gets a little bit of a break. We talked to some of the players and, you know, they get to take their finals get a little bit of time off, then it's back to all the uh, off-season workouts. Some of those unofficial workouts, but they'll be back with the strength and conditioning coaches. They'll be back throwing the football around. So we'll be down there covering all that. But I just wanted to first thank our sponsor for the segment, Southern California Tickets, uh, sctickets.com. Biggest ticket in town right now, obviously, those Lakers playoff games. They just won two against Utah. But they'll be back for more series, I'm sure. So if you want more tickets, to the Lakers, you can go to sctickets.com. 1-800-888-7287 is their phone number. Just, again, wanted to thank them. It was really nice of them to sponsor us in the Peristyle Podcast. And you, Coach, you're a segment coach. You're the reason that these guys flock to the podcast. Well, it's nice of the Southern California Ticket Service to do that. I want to thank uh, Curtis and uh, all the whole gang down there at Southern California Ticket Service. They do a great job of making you happy. They'll work hard to find you tickets to the event that you want to go to. And I really suggest you give them a call. You know, their local telephone number is 626-577-2557. I know it by 
memory, so uh, you know I must use them a lot. <laughs> <laughs> nice, coach. Well, let's you know you were up in the press box for the huddle. I was down on the field on Saturday at the Coliseum. Had to film. Um, you got a, I think you get a better perspective up there in the press box. You kind of see plays develop, and it's a little bit easier to see what's going on. But a couple of things maybe that stuck out in your head from the Trojan huddle. Well, you, uh, you really do see it better. Uh, the first part of the scrimmage, warm-ups and so on, I was down at the field, but I love to watch warm-ups and watch the kids up close and see some of the recruits that were there on the sideline and so on. There was a lot of recruits there on Saturday watching the uh, scrimmage and so on. Then when the team went back in uh, before they came out for the scrimmage, uh, I went back up to the press box, and this is the first time I had an opportunity to watch them up high because uh, all of the Saturday uh, scrimmages that I attended, we were down there on the on the on the on the floor with them or on the grass with them, and it's very difficult to see these people standing around and so on and be able to watch them. But watching uh, the scrimmage uh, Saturday or the spring game or whatever you want to call it, uh, uh, I thought Mitch Mustaine uh, really did distinguish himself as as a as a quarterback. I think it's the best I've seen him look. He looked like he was of control of what he was doing. Uh, I would think that uh, if he could maintain that quality of poise and the way he executed the offense and threw the football and so on, that USC would have be very strong at, at one and two as far as the depth chart, as far as quarterbacks concerned. Uh, I really was impressed with what he did. Not that I wasn't impressed with what Matt Barkley did and so on, but I just was, you know, Mitch Mustaine really just hadn't had that opportunity. And he really did get out there and I thought really did well. I mean, through several touchdown passes, I think three or four touchdown passes, whatever. He had five. Hit his, huh? Five touchdown passes. Five touchdown passes. I didn't want to, you know, I thought someone might have got one, but. He got five touchdown passes and really did throw well, really distinguished himself. In fact, if you didn't know and you were out there watching it, you would say, gosh, that guy's pretty good, your number one quarterback. He, he, he's going to play in the NFL. He's going to be another Matt Castle. He's going to play in the NFL. He's been a good kid. He stayed out there. He's tried. He didn't transfer. He's, he's really been in a difficult situation after transferring from Arkansas, and I think he thought he had a good Saturday. As far as um, things that I, I think they really need to work on, uh, the kicking game. And I know John Bax is an outstanding special teams coach, but you're only as good as what surrounds you. When I, again, saw them attempt a field goal and a 42-yard field goal fell short and to the right, I said, wow. I think any great team, if you're going to be great in and be able to win or go to a BCS Bowl game or play for a national championship, you've got to be a complete team as far especially in the special teams. You've got to be able to support your offense and defense by field position, and that's all determined by special teams. Whenever you cross the 50-yard line, you've got to be a threat with a field goal. I really believe that. I think other teams in the country, and I won't mention them, kick 50 and 55-yard field goals whenever, or at least they can attempt them, and they know they have a chance of making them. Right now in that area, I would think USC would go out now, and I'm sure they are, and say, we've got to improve this. And I'm not sure that's not why they didn't work on it in the spring. Maybe saying, well, why spend our time working on it when 
you know, maybe these won't be our kickers. I, I didn't see any punting, so I really don't know how that went. But you've got to be able to, you know, put the ball in the end zone on kickoffs. You've got to be able to give your defense good field position when they come in the game after you score. And you've got to be able to score when you cross the 50-yard line in some manner. You've got to be able to be a threat as far as in the field goal situation. And right now, I don't believe they are. So I think that's something that really needs to be worked on. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I really uh, wonder what's going to happen there. As far as uh, the running game itself, I think uh, it has to still be established. I think that um, uh, they are still trying to uh, execute the run. They did have some outstanding runs. Bradford had a nice run. i, I got to tell you, Dylan Baxter had a nice run, one that uh, a couple of guys twisted their knees on trying to tackle him. He's got a, a balance to him and a shift to him and a swagger to him. That hasn't been at SC for a while. I, I, I want you to know that. Uh, Bradford, I thought, uh, definitely is number one, but I think Baxter can play. I was happy to see Mark Tyler get a few turns in a row, three or four carries in a row. And I was also very happy to see Lane Kiffin try to establish the run. They came back. They got away from it a little bit in the first half. They came back in the third quarter, got the running game going a little bit, ran the football, tried to run the football, and then, of course, the passing game opened up again. And I think that was very, very important. And you hear him always talking about the running game and we have to get the running game going. And, and he understands that, the best defense is a good offense and a good running game to keep the Oregon teams with their explosive offenses and these other teams uh, off the field. And the only way you do that is by having a running game, utilize the clock, being able to have the confidence that you can drive the football down the field if you're up by seven and or up by six or up by three, that you can run the clock down and be able to not, uh, you know, be able not to run the football. you got to run the football and keep the clock moving. Uh, I think Stanley Havili had an outstanding day. He's truly a, an outstanding athlete, being a guy that can play inside, outside, or play anywhere and make the catches he does. And I think his speed is deceiving. He seems to always be able to get open on the outside, which is almost an impossible situation when you consider he's a fullback. And I think he does a tremendous job. He also is at times a tailback. So I really think Havili is a force on the offense. He's an experienced player. He's a senior, and I think he'll have a great year. Um, Butler uh, was primarily the, the main receiver on Saturday. I think he'll probably be the starter. I was very uh, encouraged by Prater, because he plays like a senior. He threw a block uh, on a touchdown pass. I forget. Or no, on a, it was a pass and a run. Yeah, Trayvon. Pat- it was a mistake to Trayvon Patterson. But he threw a block that took two people out of the play, came back and blocked people, and that's that's what a receiver is supposed to do—not just be a receiver. But he 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 blocked people, and he went out there and played with a cast on his hand. It wasn't like, hey, I can't practice, I can't play. He played like a senior, and I think Prater is far better and has surprised everyone on what he's done this spring. But I think when the fall comes around, it'll probably be Butler and 
Johnson at the receiver position, but I'll tell you, Prater certainly has done a tremendous job, and so has Baxter as incoming freshman. I've really been impressed by both of these young kids. The offensive line, lack of depth, and it's really amazing how the offensive line could be down in, in numbers like this. You know, they've got a lot of great players, but they just haven't had enough, and and, and they've had to really rotate people around to get the best combination. Right now, you know, the graph is they've got Graft and Khalil, and uh, they got Henderson on the depth chart, which is something that's absolutely uh, amazing when he hadn't yeah. even practiced yet. <laughs> right. So, I mean, they, they got no choice. They don't have a lot of choices there. I mean, there's... They, don't, they don't have a lot of choices there, but I think that uh, they'll be able to find five guys that can play. And they, they got to get, I like Holmes in the spring. I think he's really improved. I think Smith's improved. I love seeing Martin Coleman out there. A big body, 340 pounds, 6'5", 6'6", kid that really hasn't performed, but I watched him. He's working hard. It'd be great to get something out of Martin Coleman. Uh, at guard, uh, they've moved. I think they're, they're going to move Kraft in at guard. And, yeah, Kraft is playing. He was playing left guard next to Khalil. Yeah, I like that. I really do like that because that frees up Butch Lewis, who I thought probably is the most experienced uh, player on the offensive line, and that would experience him. To me, Butch Lewis, because I think he's got the quickest feet of anybody on the offensive line. I'm not saying that the offensive center position is weak, but I think Butch Lewis could really be a tremendous offensive center and play in the NFL. He's quick. He can get after linebackers. He's a senior. He makes the calls. Not that O'Dowd can and some of these other kids can't, but we really don't have a lot of, of experience there, and O'Dowd has, has had always a tendency of getting hurt. Now, Butch Lewis has got to toughen it up, but if he wants to play in the NFL, it's time for him to have a pretty good year. But me, if I, if I spread that out, if I was doing the depth chart, now I don't do that, and I'm just looking at it. This is just my opinion. I'd move Butch Lewis to center. I'd keep Kraft and uh, Holmes at guards, Tyrone Smith at tackle with the uh, Coleman, and, and and I'd move uh, Kraft to guard. I like him at the guard, big young kid, and Khalil at the tackle on the other side. Now, these are kids that got turns in the spring. Butch Lewis didn't get a lot of turns in the spring because he was hurt. But I like his quickness. He'd have a senior at the center position who's played, and he hasn't, you know, you got to get through this nagging injuries, and, and no doubt you've got to be able to have a center that's going to make it through the season. Now, you know, you don't have a lot of offensive linemen in the NFL either, so these guys have got to toughen up, they've got to play, and they've got to make it through the season, but they have no choice. They have no choice. That's the way it's going to be. They're going to have to rotate around, they're going to have to play, they're going to have to toughen it up, they're going to have to put the tough skin on, and uh, they got they these are the guys, and I think they're learning to do that right now. When I watch them in the spring, they're learning to you know you see some guys limping on the offensive line, but not coming out. You're not going to die from a from a groin. You're not going to die from a partly sprained ankle. You're going to live through those things, okay? And you learn to play through those things. And I'm not telling you that you're someone you're trying to get someone seriously injured. But you're trying to let someone know that, hey, kid, that's the way it is when you play football. You bring your briefcase and you play, and 
and, and we win, and, and that's the way it goes. So uh, that's what I, I see there in the offensive line side of it. Uh, I think that the uh, defensive line, I really like what they've done there. I think they have more players than they thought they were going to have. I think they've got the depth. I think Orgeron's done a great job. They have a lot of pride there. And when they all play at the same time and when he gets his rotation down, I think the defensive line will be adequate, really good. As far as the linebacker situation, I think they've taken a very lean position, a position that everybody was so worried about. And they developed, I think, three or four fine linebackers. I don't want to say outstanding linebackers yet, but they had – a good spring. Now they have the same problem the offensive line does. They have a lack of depth there. But I think that Smith with Glippo, Kennard, uh, Morgan, they're going to have to get it done. And maybe Glippo's going to be the spell guy. Maybe he's going to go in and play for Morgan. Maybe he's going to play in the middle. Maybe he's going to play somewhere else. But you got to have your best players on the field. And these guys will be on the field. you got to have them on the field. Now, as far as the secondary is concerned, you've got a great athlete, a great bunch of athletes. I think the secondary, yeah, they were burned on Saturday because they knew what coverages they were running and they knew how to beat them and they're young kids and so on. But they're talented kids. I mean, when you have Wright, the kid like that, I think Shree is a great player. Harris and Bryant, I think they're going to have to fight it out of that corner position. They've got depth, and I love their safeties. The safeties will hit you. T.J. McDonald, man, and, and Starling, and Moore, and Patrick Hall, and Drew McAllister didn't practice this spring. He's got to get ready to play, and he can't be hurt anymore. He's been hurt too much, too. He's got to take some glue out there and glue himself together and get ready to play along with Marshall Jones. Now, Marshall Jones, his neck, and so on, who knows what might happen with that. Now, I think the number one thing that we're going to see in the fall that we've never seen at USC is we're going to see starters on special teams. Pete Carroll liked to have special teams where everybody played. You saw a lot of walk-ons on special teams. You saw a lot of you saw a lot of second teamers on special teams. I don't think you're going to see that with uh, Lane Kiffin. I think you're going to see number one unit guys on special teams. I think it's so important that you don't have breakdowns on special teams that you're going to have your players on the field. You can't afford to just give people a chance to play and have breakdowns on your special teams. So I really think in the fall you're going to see a different philosophy than what you've seen in the past. You're going to see guys that are on the first team defense and so on, and great players, maybe even offensive backs that aren't playing covering kickoffs. And you're going to see them on punt teams, and you're going to see them on punt return teams. You're not going to see backups as much as you saw in the past with Coach Pete Carroll. I think you're going to see players on the field with the new philosophy. And I think they need to go out and they do need to recruit. I think the talent level is down a little bit than what it's been. And they need to bring in some additional great players, and some are coming in in the fall class, to beef up the depth. So that's my thoughts. I don't know. I might have wow. missed something. <laughs> no, I think you covered just about everything there, Coach. We can go over a couple of points a little bit. I think with the, the quarterbacks – Get your thoughts on this. Actually, Dan Weber, our beat writer, put up a, a good story about two quarterbacks being better than one and the unique position this puts USC in with, you know, compared to pretty much any team 
in the country because I think it's pretty clear that Lane Kiffin and his staff feel that they can win games. You know, they every game on their schedule is winnable if Mitch Mustaine was the starting quarterback. So it's kind of a unique position that USC is in right now. Do you think there's going to be any kind of quarterback controversy? Do you think it's a good thing? Could they play two guys or, or give Mustaine some snaps? What do you think is going to happen there? No, I don't think they're going to, there's going to be any controversy because Mitch Mustaine understands his role. And uh, I think he knows that he's number two. So he's going to work hard at number two to have that opportunity to play on Sunday, like I said. Uh, I think that if Matt Barkley was to go down or got hurt and Mitch Mustaine had the opportunity of knowing he was number one, like he was number one and had the opportunity in Washington, that he'd have it with a different attitude and a different offense philosophy, and he could go in and execute it. And then maybe it'd be difficult for Matt Barkley to get it back. I think he's a talented player, okay? He just has been in a very difficult situation. And I think now he feels good about himself. He had an outstanding spring, which makes him feel good about himself. And he's proved to a lot of the players and to the new coaching staff that I am a football player. I'm not just someone who decided to come to USC after having a great freshman year at Arkansas. I think he's a good football player. I think that the Trojans could win with Mitch Mustaine. But I don't think he's the number one in the depth chart. And I think when the fall comes around, Matt Barkley will be the quarterback. But I think that if Matt struggles a lot, if that happened, and I don't want that to happen, but if that happened, that Mitch Mustaine would get his chance. Yeah, I agree with you, Coach. Uh, well, let's see. Let's talk about special teams a little bit. It's been a little – it's been interesting. Uh, let's say this. Anyway, John Baxter comes in. They haven't focused on certain aspects of special teams, kickoffs, kickoff coverages, punts. You didn't see any of that going on uh, at the scrimmage, at the huddle on Saturday. There was no punts. There was no kickoffs. They just kind of put the ball you know, in field position and, and let the offense defense take over. There was one field goal attempt, like you said. They put Joe Houston as the starting kicker, uh, which was interesting, even though Harfman has a bigger leg. And then when it came to a long field goal, they put Houston in for that instead of letting Harfin take a shot at the longer one. They kind of stopped with the field goals from from that point on. They they went for it. I think almost every fourth down where you were like across the 50, they just went for it on fourth down, which I guess is good to practice and stuff. Um, but what yeah, what did, what do you think about that as far as, you know, not practicing the field goals now? Do you think that's okay to to wait for the fall to start doing all that stuff? Well, let me tell you, they quit doing the field goals because it was embarrassing. It's embarrassing and it takes away confidence from your team. And it injures the um, relationship of your current kickers with the team and everything else. Uh, A 42-yard field goal in college football is not a difficult kick, especially when there's no rush. Think about that for a minute. And to be to the right and short, that's basically embarrassing. So I, I think a lot of it, and I'm just talking, Frank, not to talk about names of players, that it's an area that really needs to be improved on. And I think they probably thought, why work on something that basically those players aren't going to be playing in the fall? At least that's what I assume. But I think that they should have worked on covering kickoffs and blocking of kickoff returns, and I think they did that in practice. I didn't see them doing that in practice. 
But you've got to emphasize the special teams, and you've got to say more than John Baxter's a great special teams coach. Yeah, it's the I don't know. I, I've never seen that before. Okay, uh, I mean, in the spring is when you develop all phases of your kicking game, and and uh, I went to UCLA scrimmage and watched them, and of course they did all phases of their kicking game, and uh, I don't know just how much they did spend on teaching in the spring blocking rules as far as punting team and kickoff coverage lanes and kickoff return angles and and all of that. I don't know. But uh, it's something you need to really stress. And uh, I'm not sure why they didn't. Obviously, they have a plan, so I'm not going to be critical. But it is different. It's it's very different. Yeah, certainly, Coach. Well, And it, one of the guys you mentioned, Stanley Havili, I think could be a, a key to this offense this year. And I think that he uh, wasn't utilized to the best of his ability before, and I think the fullback position kind of fell off a little bit. They'd throw it in here and there, but it just wasn't an integral part of the overall offense. And keeping defenses honest and you know making linebackers think about what this guy's going to be doing coming out of the backfield. I mean, you saw what they, how, he, how effective he was. He caught three touchdown passes in the scrimmage on Thursday. And just seeing that for the fall, I mean, that has to send a message to opposing defenses. Like you got to watch this kid coming out of the backfield. I mean, he can catch a touchdown anytime during the game. To me, if they start utilizing that fullback position more, I think it's going to be easier on the quarterbacks, whoever it is, you know, Barkley and Mustaine having that kind of effective release valve if they're, if nobody's open. And I think it'll put a little pressure on opposing defenses. No, it, it definitely does. And, uh, you know, when you look at the offense and so on, you know, they kept it very balanced. They, you didn't see a lot of motions. Uh, you know, you didn't see them get real fancy. And uh, and I think I mentioned it earlier. He might be the most valuable player on offense. Not saying Barkley's not a great player or Mustaine or anything, but they utilize him so well from all the different things that he can do, Stanley. He's a leader, too. He's a tough kid, too. And uh, I, and I like that. I mean, and I'm sure everyone else has their feelings on who they think is the best. But I think he's a kid that has to be in the game. I think he's a guy that has to be utilized both in the running game, blocking, and also uh, doing the things he does well, which is being a great uh, receiver as far as a a back or fullback uh, running routes. And, he, and you know what he has? He has good hands. Uh, he stretched out, he makes great plays, the ball's right there, he doesn't drop it, he keeps his eye on the ball, and he runs well with the football after he catches it. So he does everything well. I thought he had an outstanding, outstanding uh, spring game and spring. And uh, I'm glad to see that happen. I, I really am. He's a good kid, and he's a senior. And, and uh, no, I agree with you last year. I don't think he was really utilized. And then uh, Sharice Wright, you mentioned him as well. Uh, the the biggest thing for me, and I think that's what USC fans are going to see a lot more of uh, with this defense, I think you're going to see some of those secondary players playing the ball a little bit more than you saw in the past. And you saw guys get their hands on footballs. And even though the offense did really well and they scored a lot of points, I mean, Sharice Wright was out there, uh, Malcolm Smith, you had guys batting balls down and getting their hands off football. Sharice had a near interception in the end zone. It would have been a really tough catch, but he got a couple of hands on it. He batted, you know, I like it had to be three or four balls down, three or four passes down. So I think for me, 
that was an encouraging sign seeing the secondary be able to get their hands on footballs, especially Sharice Wright. No, I agree with you. And I'll tell you, they're, they're tough kids. They're kids that like to hit you and they're going to learn by playing. They don't have a lot of experience. You know, he came back and started the uh, bowl game last year. So he's a, probably the most experienced player in the secondary. And uh, they're athletes. And I like athletes. You can't have enough athletes. And I think the secondary has some great athletes. Now, young kids will make some mistakes. And, you know, that's the worst place you can make a mistake is in the secondary. I think you'll see a lot of man, more maybe more man coverage than you've ever seen before. And I like to, you know, the way that they line up and the way they start to cover and how they get involved and so on. And they're not afraid to take a chance and jump on the ball. And, uh, I think they're going to be a fine secondary. They're just going to be young. And uh, the front seven, and when they, if they stay healthy and the linebackers stay healthy and so on, I think they're going to be fine on defense because they run well on defense and they pursue well on defense. And I think that's what you have to have on defense. You've got to be able to get to the football and make plays. They've got a lot of playmakers on defense because they've got team speed and uh, they'll be sound. Monty Kiffin and his staff will get them guys ready to play, and uh, I think they'll be a lot better. But I'm really looking forward to seeing exactly what happens with this season and how this team matures uh, and comes now into its age of becoming part of a new era. Now, it's a good segue, Coach. But speaking of that, our last point of this segment, we had a question from, I hope I pronounced his name right, I think it's Tallini, T-E-L-E-N-I. Um, he wanted to know... Just get down to business. Can USC make it back to a BCS bowl game again? And, you know, we talked all about what this team did in the huddle and stuff. But what do you think overall? Is this, is Lane Kiffin going to be able to put these pieces together in a way that they can make another run at a BCS bowl game in 2010? Well, I think they can. I think they have to have some luck with them as far as injury factor. They, they can't, you know, if they stay healthy – and they get better every week, and in with uh, a new coach and so on, you, and a new coaching staff, you should get better every week. They improve in the kicking game. We've talked about this kind of during the segment, what they have to get better at and what they need to do. Yes, they can. Even if you look at last year, you know, they were 8-4, and four and, and they shouldn't have lost to Arizona. They shouldn't have lost to Washington. They would have been 10-2 and two and go to BCS bowl game, and they got blown out by two teams. I mean – but still, if they'd have won the games they should have won, they should have beaten Arizona, and they should have beaten Washington. I mean, you can try to justify it any way you can, but I can't justify those losses, okay? Uh, the other two, they just got their butts kicked, okay? It's just flat to tell you what happened in those games. They weren't going to win those football games. But the other two, even if they'd have won those games then and went to a BCS Bowl game, they, might have, they probably would have won the BCS Bowl game knowing USC and how they get ready to play in bowl games, okay? So, yeah, they have a chance to go to a BCS bowl game, but they've got a lot of things that have to happen. They've got to have what? They've got to have an improvement in some areas. They've got to be lucky as far as not getting key players injured. They've got to get better every week. And they've got to see how good the Pac-10 is going to be. As far as their non-conference games, you know, you know Notre Dame's going to be better. Uh, at least you think they are. I mean, this Nick Tankid, who was the backup quarterback at Notre Dame, had the, the best stats in the spring, played at Patrick City College last year. 
and I think he was very good. Okay, but that he's a walk on at Notre Dame, and he's not going to be the guy in this in this in the in, you know in the fall. But I think they're going to be better. Why they're going to be tougher? Because Kelly's brought a toughness there. That's more of a college philosophy, which when Charlie Wise was there was a more of a pro philosophy as far as, okay, come on, guys. This is, there's no come on, guys. It's a different attitude and a different voice that I can't use on radio, okay? <laughs> so, uh, you know, I think that's, Notre Dame's going to be better and tougher to beat, okay? Obviously, I think they can, if I believe SC should be able to beat Hawaii, I think they'll be a favorite in all of their non-conference games. I believe they'll be a favorite against Virginia, a favorite against Minnesota, a favorite against Hawaii. I think they'll be a uh, a favorite in most of their games. Uh, so yes, if they stay healthy, yes, if they get if they mature and get better, there's no reason why they can't go to one. But they, but things have to happen for that to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah, coach. We'll we'll know a little bit more when we see the first couple of games, and you know you, you have the great coaching staff in place. You have a lot of talent in place. See how it meshes together. See how everyone starts playing under the new system. And it, it, I think it's been encouraging so far in the spring. We'll obviously know more in the fall, and then you see them put it all together against Hawaii. We'll know a lot more about what this team is made of. I agree with you, and uh, I think, think it's going to be really interesting. I'm excited for this coming football season. I really am because. Uh, you really want to see what these kids can do, and you want to see exactly uh, what the program's at, where it stands, and the new pro- recruits that are coming in, and how they accept the challenge of now uh, going out there and, and, and playing against uh, uh, other teams. I-, I want you to know, SC is still the team to beat, okay? They're still the team to beat. Every team that plays them, is, they're, they're a mark on their schedule. They... The ticket prices are higher for the SC game than any other game they play, especially at home when they when the Trojans are on the road. So, will they be the favorite to win the Pac-10 by the media next year? Uh, probably Oregon will be with Thomas at quarterback, but I'm gonna tell you, I wouldn't be a bit surprised to see Mazzoli back. Okay, Oregon has a chance to win the national championship next year with Mazzoli. They got 19 starters back with him. The entire offensive line is back. Entire offensive line, along with all the defense. Now, is Oregon willing to say, okay, he's been a good kid. He helped us in the spring. He played receiver. He's been dressed during spring practice. All of a sudden, the second game of the year after they win their opener, we have decided that he can come back and play. I think that might happen. Uh, will it happen? I don't know. But sometimes things happen, and uh, you say, goodness. If you're an Oregon fan, you say, I think that's a good play. I think that's a nice move. If you're an opponent of USC or an opponent of Oregon, you say, how could they do that? Yeah. Well, huh? That's but true. I, but I'm going to tell you, Ryan, uh, I really see that happening. Well, we'll see what happens, Coach. It's got a lot, a lot of uh, football to be played before USC and Oregon tangle. So who knows going to be the quarterback at that point? We'll we'll know a lot more about this team by then. But Coach, 
We had a little long segment. That's okay. We had a lot to talk about with the huddle, but thanks very much for joining us again, and we'll talk to you again next week. Brian, thank you very much, and let's thank Southern California Ticket Service. SCTickets.com. Thank you guys very much. We'll be back in 30 seconds talking recruiting with Gerard Martinez. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We are joined in this segment by USCfootball.com recruiting analyst, Gerard Martinez. going to talk a little USC recruiting. Gerard, how are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing great. I mean, I got the uh, I got the horsey welcome. That was uh, that was pretty that was pretty unique there, Ryan. Pretty good, yeah. And it's a single welcome. <laughs> welcome. That's a Wilbur, like Mister Ed. Uh, it's Cinco de Mayo, man. So you know, you might have had a couple of beers already. I'm not really sure, but hopefully, having a good Cinco de Mayo. But we do want to talk a little uh, recruiting today, and it's May. You know, May fifth, Cinco de Mayo. Obviously, May evaluation has started for the coaches. Uh, USC spring practice ended uh, on Saturday with the Trojan huddle and Lane Kiffin went out and said, you know, his staff is pretty much going to go out and hit the road as soon as spring practice ends. And I know we've talked about May evaluation period a lot on the, on the website. We've talked about it even a little bit on the podcast, but it's kind of like one of those buzzwords. Maybe not a lot of people know what that means. What we are we talking about when we refer to the May evaluation period for college coaches. So maybe you want to give a little explanation of what that exactly is. It's the period of time where the assistant coaches, uh, usually it's about seven assistant coaches. You know, you can only have so many uh, coaches out on the road at the same time. They'll go out and they get two different kinds of visits. They get their visit, which is athletic. Um, Locally at this point, CIF, they don't have spring ball until really the second into the third week of May. So a lot of these visits that are going on in state are really academic visits, meaning that coaches go in and they evaluate the transcripts of these athletes and really look at them more academically than they're looking at them athletically. Now they can go by and they can see them and they can watch them a little bit if they're in the weight room, but really the focus is more of the academics and the transcripts of those kids. Uh, And then you also have an athletic evaluation which that's going on a lot more out of state because a lot of these states in Florida, uh, you're in Virginia, you're in Georgia, they're already playing football. And in Florida, they have full pads practices already and they're actually going to be playing jamboree games in the spring which are inter-squad scrimmages so you can go out there and uh you know this week uh, willie mac actually went out uh he was in south florida he hit fort lauderdale checked out uh wayne lyons who's you know an army all-american safety about six foot 190 uh one of the top players in the country one of the first prospects in the 2011 class to be offered a scholarship by usc so they went out there and they saw him and he's already playing football so that's an evaluation where they can go in and athletically check him out. Now they can come back later in the month and go ahead and evaluate him academically too. So you get those two evaluations 
Obviously, you get your contact period, too, which is, you know, when USC can make their one phone call to each of these recruits. That's probably already happened. We, you know, reported on that big statement that they made April 15th, which was the first day of the contact period for the May evaluation period where they could actually call kids. And they hit a number of kids and called them real early in the morning. And it was a big, made a big splash nationally. So now they get to follow it up with that first on-campus visit. And uh, the NCAA actually passed a new rule just recently as stated that only two coaches from the same college can visit a high school campus at once. And what was happening is that some of these colleges were coming in and they were bringing in, you know, five, six, seven guys at a time and trying to make a big splash with buses and limousines. And, you know, everything is about making that statement and that impact. You know, talking to Wayne Lyons, USC comes all the way across country, William Matt Garza comes in, he's one of the first coaches to see him. You know, that in itself makes a statement to a kid like that. You know, he's all the way in Florida, and he feels that love coming from USC. USC's obviously very interested in him, and, you know, they're going to talk the talk, but going out there and seeing him in person and being one of the first schools uh, to come to the high school is walking the walk. So a lot of this is about statements. The NCAA is trying to curtail, you know, some of the more, uh, I, I guess, you know, the superfluous statements that are being made. And, you know, before when you had the actual head coaches, which is no longer, these are all assistant coaches that go on the road, you actually had head coaches a few years ago coming in making May evaluation visits. They come in in helicopters. They come in and, you know, parachuting in and doing all these crazy things. And it's all about making that statement. And it becomes more about the, the statement and getting noticed and saying, hey, look at me. You know, I'm uh, Philip Fulmer and I'm coming in a helicopter uh, waving at the kids and making a big scene. And it is actually evaluating the recruits. So that's kind of what the, the NCAA is doing in terms of curtailing and putting some rules on this period. And, and now, you don't have the head coaches even out there at all. They're not allowed to, to leave the campus and recruit during the May evaluation period. So, um, you know, it's a process that is big. It's influential. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where the colleges are going out. They're hitting the road. USC will see a bunch of recruits. They're going to start to make, um, you know, some decisions as to, you know, who should they, they offer. Maybe they have some offers out there that now they're going to go, eh, we need to kind of pull back on this guy a little bit. Maybe we don't like him as much as we thought we did on tape. He's not quite as big as we thought. You know, you get to eyeball a kid in person and sometimes it changes your opinion but you're also going to go out there and there's going to be some kids that don't have scholarship offers that maybe now seeing them in person they want to offer them and and you know when you get to see that athletic evaluation i mean that's what it's all about it's about watching kids move and getting to see them work out so we'll see this process it'll be a big deal and it it definitely it, it leads up to the uh, to the rise of stars camp to the camp period and that's really where you know we kind of understand how the target list is going to play out for the rest of the year for usc now the we've talked a lot about the offers. There's been a lot of out-of-state offers, not as many local scholarship offers given out yet. Do you think that USC will start extending more during the May evaluation period, or are they going to wait for most of these local offers to go out during the camps? I think you're going to see a little bit of both. I think we could see uh, a few offers going out locally uh, as we start to see kids really towards the end of track season. That's kind of a big deal. Um, and, and I think there's going to be some push just to make maybe make some statements with a few local kids, you know, kind of get out there in front of the recruitment and then maybe coming into the Rising Stars camp, uh, kind of making that like the wrap on the recruitment and trying to get the commitment there at the camp. So I think you're going to see a little bit mix of both. I mean, the previous staff really put a lot of emphasis on getting kids in and and having them be evaluated at the camp because they could, you know, look for specific drills and get specific things out of it. Whereas May evaluation, you know, the coaches can't control the actual workout. They have to go down there, they kind of watch, you know, some practices, 
you can get a great evaluation. I mean, I've been through the same thing where you go to some schools and they work out well. I mean, the team is, you know, organized. You're getting to see the kid do a lot. Uh, you get to see those things that you really need to to be able to make an opinion on, you know, how he is as a performer. And then you go to other high schools uh, and junior colleges and you go through it and you go, wow, I didn't really see this kid do anything. I mean, there was, the practice was a technically a workout, but, you know, there was just a lot of other stuff going on and you didn't really get to see that player play much. So it, it's a mixed bag and, and you know it, it all depends on need it depends again on what kind of statement USC wants to make I mean do they want to kind of go out and, and and make a splash in certain areas they might want to get ahead of the game and go ahead and make some offers early so I think you'll get a little bit of a mix but with locally I mean they told a few players already kind of outset we want you to come to the camp. I mean, that's where we're going to make our big evaluations. That's where we're going to make our opinions. And uh, a guy like Jason Gibson is a perfect example from Sarah High School, 6'3", 215, a guy that's really playing a lot of defensive end, a great-looking player, but USC wants to play, wants to see him play linebacker. Now, they can go, may evaluation, they can eyeball him in person. They've already seen him in person, so there's not a whole lot more to see there. They can watch him work out in certain areas, but – I mean, chances are they're not going to see a lot of him in linebacker drills when he plays defensive end at high school. So what they want to do is want to take him out of that environment and put him into their defense at their camp and see what he can do in those type of coverages and that type of scheme. I mean, that's a different context, and that's where you feel more comfortable, even without the pads, oh, this kid can play linebacker for us, or he can't play linebacker for us. So, again, it's, it's a little bit of a mixed bag. I think you'll see some offers locally, but I think maybe the majority will end up being more towards the Rising Stars camp and even the linemen and skills camp, which is before that. All right. Uh, well, let's go over – I wanted to go over the offensive and defensive target list a little bit. We'll just highlight some, some of the players you have on there, some of the guys that might have been updated. You do this every – Month You can check out the beginning of the month on uscfootball.com. It's an extensive list broken down by position of all the different prospects that are kind of on USC's radar. He lists, Jarrett lists the interest level, if they're committed, if they have offers, where they're from, what position they play, height, weight, all that kind of good stuff. So lots of good information on the target list, offensive and defensive target list. Uh, looking at the offensive target list first and uh, some of the running backs, there's some interesting names on there maybe i've mentioned a couple of them and we can you can talk about it a bit but harvey Lange, we uh, watched him uh from out of utah big kid he looks like he could you know that you list him as a fullback he could maybe turn into an h-back down the road i don't know but there's he's he was a good looking kid at the the nike camp and uh maybe mike bellamy out of florida if you want to comment a little bit on him and uh rodney co as well from uh illinois he's kind of a power running back six two two thirty. Um, anyone else you wanted to mention too, but just a couple of names that looked like there were some updates from the running backs on the target list. Well, Lange came out to the Nike camp uh, that we had uh, a couple weeks ago at USC and was one of the star performers. Um, you know, one of those guys who's played running back and has been pretty skilled playing running back, but you look at his size and you see what USC has done with Stanley Havili, and he's a Stanley Havili clone. There's definitely differences, I think, Havili – is probably was established as a better running back coming out of high school, um, whereas Lange is a little taller. Uh, he, he might be a tad even faster. He, he's a big guy, but he's got great straight-line speed, and he's an excellent receiver. But he's definitely one of those hybrid-type fullbacks that – with USC, I mean, they've done some great things at that position. He's not a standard fullback. He's more of a West Coast-type fullback. Um, and maybe some positions or some schools, he would end up being more of a running back. So you kind of have to balance that, and, and I'm not sure what direction USC will go in in that, you know, with that said. Um, 
the running back position is interesting with USC, and we have to see how the scheme evolves at USC under Lane Kiffin as well because the one problem that USC has had in the past few years is that they haven't had a fullback that's been a really good lead blocker. And you can get enamored with these guys that are really skilled, that are good running backs, that are big enough to play fullback, but do they necessarily have the mentality? And I think we've talked about this before. There was some time there last year with the previous staff that I felt like they were kind of looking at the fullback position as two positions. They were looking at the guys that could be the DJ Shoemates that are really a skilled player, plays receiver, but has the body to play fullback because he's physical enough, uh, but not necessarily a guy that's physical enough to go straight up out of the eye formation and blow up a Mike linebacker. Uh, a little different kind of physicalness. And then you have the guy uh, like uh, Soma Vanuku is a perfect example. Soma Vanuku is six foot two fifty. He is as physical as you can get, and physical in a way that he'll bust your mouth open. I mean, he will come right up the middle and he'll blow people up in the running game. Uh, Simi Simi Vakite is another guy. Uh, Simioni was recruited as a fullback out of uh, out of um, I think it was Kapolei High School. He's a Hawaii kid. Um, really played. A little bit of running back was more of a blocker and was a linebacker in high school, but he was a guy that was known for being a mauler, being physical, no neck. There's not anything in there that you're really thinking, well, this guy's a great skill player. That wasn't what it was about. That wasn't why USC recruited him. They recruited him because he was a guy that was going to be physical, was going to be able to block and be able to be a role player. And that's, you know, that's not a bad word. That role player and a guy that can just do his assignment in his blue collar you need that within a football team you can't have everything but four and five star players because then you're battling egos and, and nobody wants to do you know the the grunt work and that position right there if you're going to run out of the eye formation you got to have a guy that's going to be physical being willing to give up his body now and again to make a block and now you got Simi Vaikite is playing over on the defense he's playing linebacker and actually playing pretty well for USC so that void opens up again at the fullback position you cross your fingers and you hope Soma Vanuku gets in uh, this year. Um, we talked to him not too long ago. He was pretty confident, felt like his grades were in order. Um, but there's you know, going to be some eligibility questions around him coming in, and, and we're not going to know really what's what with him until he's on campus and you know the clearinghouse papers have come in and, and USC's like saying, yeah, he's in for sure. You know, I mean, I think you're going to kind of have to hold your breath um, all the way until that point. If they could get him in, then that's a guy that's perfect fit and you don't necessarily have to worry about a fullback that's going to be a big-time blocker, and I think that enables USC to go in after a guy like uh, Harvey Laney and not have to worry about, you know, is he a guy that's going to be a big-time blocker? He's, he's not that guy. He's the hybrid tailback guy. So he's an interesting guy to watch. We're you gonna know, have to you mentioned Har- you talk about Harvey Lange uh, at the Nike camp um, and you're, you're talking about Lange and you're talking about, uh, why am I blanking on his name? What, uh, Stanley, Stanley Vili. Vili. Oh my God. Yeah. One of my favorite dudes on the team, Stanley Vili. I was blanking on his name. Uh, you know, he, he's a, you know, Pol- Polynesian kid. He comes over and he's like, Hey, who's good here? That's Polynesian. And I mentioned Harvey <laughs> Lange's name. He's like, Oh yeah, I, I've heard of him. So he was another kid from Utah. So it's funny that, that Stanley actually was asking about Lange and he had heard of him before. So he's kind of a clone and he know, they know about each other. So that's a good thing. Yeah, very much so, and 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 that can be a you know a, a sell for USC, and and obviously you know Vili's been very successful. I mean, 
Uh, it would have been great to get Lange down there uh, at the spring game for USC because, I mean, Havili had a huge game, um, you know, catching the ball and, and, and scoring touchdowns and being a focal point on the offense. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that for a guy like Lange, you know, a lot of teams could put that fullback label on him and it would be a bad thing. But at USC it's not because there's really that position is, like I said, kind of two positions, and, or at least it, it was at one point for USC, I think, at the end of Pete Carroll's career at USC in recruiting. You know, I think they figured out we kind of have to look at this twofold. We can't just have guys that are the hybrid big backs and try to make them into fullbacks because sometimes those guys just don't have the mentality to block. You know, they've had the ball in their hands for four years out of high school, and that's what they want to do. And, and they can block sometimes, and they can do things, you know, within the scheme to keep you guessing. But in terms of, you know, hey, we need to run the ball straight up the middle, sometimes it just doesn't work with those guys. So I think, again, Soma Vanuku might be uh, a little bit of a wild card in here. He might have an impact on how USC looks at that fullback position this year and, and whether a guy like Harvey Lange becomes a, a really important recruit or just a guy that USC becomes enamored with but could you know lose and not really worry too much about it. Um, now, with running back, in the true sense of the word, uh, you mentioned uh, Mike Bellamy, who you know, I talked to Mike Delamy today, and uh, he's a guy that's in track right now, and um, he's had a pretty darn good track offseason. He told me that his best time in the 100 right now is 10:39. Now that's a pretty smoking time. I haven't been able to check up uh, whether that's an official time or not, but he is known for being a blazer and being kind of the East Coast uh, D'Anthony Thomas in a lot of ways. Um, likes USC a lot. Uh, USC should probably probably be visiting here pretty soon. Um, he's talking about taking an official visit to USC. Uh, don't hear a whole lot about him and USC uh, from the East Coast, but he's been a bit of school that he's kind of kept up in his top five for quite a while and, and has a pretty good relationship with Lane Kiffin. So we'll see how that goes. It's going to be kind of an interesting uh, a deal for a guy like that, especially when you have a guy like Anthony Thomas here on the West Coast. You know, is USC going to try to go after those two speed backs? Because like I said, they're similar in style uh, a lot. Um, now, the opposite end of the spectrum, and this is, you know, more in line with Lange, is a guy like Rodney Coe. USC offered Ronnie Cole just uh, I think it was like last week and it's another big back, a guy that's labeled as an athlete in the Rivals.com database because he's 6'2", 230, and a lot of people look at him and go, hmm, I wonder if he could play uh, linebacker. You know, and that's, that's a thought with a lot of these guys. Uh, he probably wants to play running back. USC doesn't have a ton of power backs on their radar right now. So he, he is being recruited as a running back by USC and a, and a big back. And he's going to be one of these guys, though, that you bring into the program. And, you know, with the the linebacker situation is what it is, you know, with, with some issues on, you know, you have that marquee player, you have that big body guy that's really athletic that can make an impact early on. Uh, Coe is a guy that kind of floats around in there. And on that subject, I mean, I have to go back to the fullback position. A guy that's labeled – under fullbacks only because it's kind of tough to figure out where to label him is Sam Boyd. Uh, Sam Boyd's a guy that popped up at the Nike camp a couple weeks ago, um, a guy that we've seen play last year a little bit of. Saw him play against Westchester, and he only played the first quarter, but he's 6'2", 225 pounds, and he was running back kicks, and that's something that jumps out at me immediately. When I'm watching a kid, he looks good, and all of a sudden they get, they get put back on kickoff return, and he's that size. you got to figure, okay, this is a skilled guy. Now, he looks like your All-American college linebacker I mean he looks like the guy that everybody wants as a linebacker but he's really playing receiver he wants to play offense um, he's a guy that you talk about the big back you know maybe he's a guy that can also fit into that hybrid fullback position uh, just depending on you know 
how he plays. I mean, he's a guy that you also want to get to camp. Uh, but in terms of athleticism, he's a, he's a legitimate 4.58 electronic 40 guy. Uh, had a vertical inch of 36 inches at the Nike Combine the day before the Nike camp. I mean, athletically, he's just off the wall good um but you know how is he as a football player and you know where does he want to play and and, and it's one of those things like i said you know you kind of want to look at a kid and you want to push him in a certain direction because of the need he doesn't want to go in that direction he's not going to really want to play linebacker maybe he's a guy that you can kind of fit in and, and play fullback i think dj shoemate would be a good comparison to that you know a lot of people saw dj shoemate in high school and thought Wow, this is a kid, six foot, two ten. I mean, he could grow into being a great linebacker, but mentality wise, DJ Shoemate just didn't want anything to do with playing defense. And so, you know, it's one of those things where you can't, you know, you can't push a, a square a square peg into a round hole. You know, you kinda have to go with the flow and a guy like Boyd, that might be another guy that pops up here and when we start talking about big backs and, and USC recruiting somebody who's you know, more of a power back than a scat back. All right. Well let's uh, let's jump over to wide receivers. It's gonna be you know, USC loses a lot of receivers, a bunch of seniors. On the roster at wide receiver this year going into the 2010 season, but brought in a ridiculous class last year with a bunch of five-star receivers coming in. And uh, we got to see Kyle Prater this this spring, and he's definitely uh, worth the hype that he was coming into out of high school and stuff. But what is USC going to do? I mean, they already have a commitment for the class of 2012, uh, Jordan Payton. Uh, George Farmer is really high on the list, obviously. I think that's a guy that USC would love to bring in. What kind of numbers do you think, and who's, who are they looking at at wide receiver? I mean, it's going to be a really interesting position to watch for this uh, class of 2011. It still seems like two is the number that they're looking for. Um, it's uh, it, it's hard to, to feel out, though, because the amount of scholarship offers that have gone out is, is pretty significant still. I mean, they just offered uh, a couple of kids. Sharon Peek is a kid actually had an offer for about you know, about a month. They verbally offered him a while back, but he just got his official offer not too long ago. And he's a kid from South Carolina that's kind of out there. He says USC's in his top five, and I've talked to him, and he says he is very high interest in USC, but he's being very coy about the recruiting process and kind of what interest he has in USC and why he has that interest. We'll kind of see how that develops. South Carolina is a difficult place to recruit. I mean, you can feel like you've got a kid and you've got a great relationship with them, uh, a la Alshon Jeffrey from a few years ago. I was going to mention Jeffrey, yeah. He was committed forever until the last day. Exactly. So you never know. There's a lot of odd things that kind of happen at the last minute there in South Carolina. So you don't want to put a lot of eggs in that basket. Uh, but another kid that, that just got an offer not too long ago is Quinte Funderburg. And this is a big receiver. This is a guy who's 6'4", 205. And USC, again, extends a scholarship offer. Um, John Morton actually was out just to see him today uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, evaluated him in person. And you got you got to think, hmm, you know, they're, they're still sending some offers out there to multiple guys, and it's not just necessarily the slot receiver to go with George Farmer. Everybody assumes, okay, George Farmer, he's an SC lean. USC's going to work off of him and get a guy to compliment him. Well, yeah, I, they've sent out a lot of offers uh, to guys that you would look at and say, okay, that's more uh, of that uh, that Z receiver, that flanker, that slot guy. You know, D'Anthony Arnett is a good example of a guy that has a lot of interest in USC and would complement a guy like George Farmer pretty well. Devon Blackman is another guy that would complement Farmer well. Uh, but a guy like Funderburg is a bigger guy, and they're still looking, you know, at that bigger guy. They haven't completely given up on giving scholarship offers out to that big receiver. So you kind of wonder, you know, they, they with the numbers that they're losing, 
just because they got three guys last year and they're all great players doesn't mean they might not go for another three this year. I, I don't expect it. But, again, it's possible. And that receiver position is interesting because I remember Pete Carroll always saying something that he felt receivers were the most athletic uh, players on the field. He felt that was the position where you could get the most versatility out of it. So, you know, we'll see how that develops, too. That's another thing to kind of keep in the back of your mind when you're looking at all these names. Now, Thunderbird, speaking of names, USC's got to get this kid because I just want to be able to write that name down in, uh, in articles and stuff. How cool of a name is that? That's got to be one of the coolest names for the class of 2011. I kind of like Quinte. I think Quinte is kind of a uh, kind of a nice name too. Uh, Quinte Funderburg. That's uh, it's, it's a good it's a good combination. They go together. It's good stuff. All right. Well, we'll talk about that. So that's uh, let's go to the defense a little bit. Um, I know we're going a little long in this segment, people, but that's okay. We're doing an extended recruiting segment because we haven't had. You know, we we love to get to talk to Gerard, especially on Cinco de Mayo. We got to talk to him. So <laughs> defensive lineman. We got to see Greg Townsend. He looked pretty good at the camp. He got camp MVP, of course. But Coach Orgeron talked about the, the depth that he has right now at defensive line. I think he has a little bit more than people thought. Guys have come out of nowhere. People thought were afterthoughts like Dejon Harris or uh, Derek Simmons, and, and they're going to be in the rotation. Um, you know, he, he seemed to be making the most out of the guys he has. He wasn't real happy with the class coming in, <laughs> you know, for the class for 2010, the defensive lineman that USC was getting, but I'm fully expecting him to make a, a big push for the class of 2011. There's already two commits in there: Antoine Woods and Jalen Grimble just committed over the weekend. What are, What are your thoughts on this uh, defensive lineman class and just having Coach Orgeron as the recruiting coordinator now? I mean, do you think they're going to get a few extra numbers there than they would normally? Yeah, he's going to protect his position, and he's in a good position to do so. Um, and I think, you know, as far as last year, I, they were disappointed in terms of the numbers. I mean, they were pretty pumped up to get George Uko, but they wanted, I think, some more big bodies in that class overall, and, and that was really missing. And so this year, they definitely, in terms of the number of scholarships, I mean, they've shotgun offers out there. They put out more than a dozen scholarship offers. Uh, nationally the guys and that's been the one position where they have been a tad more aggressive in going after local guys so it's a good year in southern california for defensive tackles um and they you know hit it hard there's still guys out there that they could offer and i think that's where we're going to see you know some of those offers in offers that could come out of the main evaluation process you know we'll kind of see what happens but um i think it's a position that you're looking at for you can look at five i mean you know, the thing about defensive line is that if a defensive lineman doesn't work out uh, at that position, you can't move them to the offensive line. And and that's one thing that I, I think Pete Carroll and that staff did a, a lot in terms of just, you know, their strategy. Uh, they would always look and say, you know, if we're going to oversign anywhere, if we're going to go and have a position that's uh, a little overloaded, uh, we're going to make a defensive line because uh, a guy that, you know, maybe not quite athletic enough and explosive enough to play defensive line for us may be just right to play offensive line and you talk about guys like uh, Alex Parsons uh, talk about a guy like Butch Lewis who started off on the defensive line uh, Derek Simmons was a guy that started off on the defensive line ended up back over an offensive line now he's back over the defensive line and I think if there's anything that surprised uh, Ed Urcher on this spring is really just the players that he's had and, and the depth that he's had I mean you know the fans are surprised, but I think he's surprised a little bit too because when they came out here from Tennessee, the first thing you heard uh, Lane Kiffin talk about was just you know the front seven uh, in the SEC 
is so much better than the front seven you typically see in the Pac-10, whereas the, the passing game in the Pac-10 is usually uh, above and beyond what you see in the SEC. But the one thing that's been a strength for USC uh, in terms of spring has been the play of the defensive line. So uh, I think it has surprised them a little bit, and the coaching staff has, has seen it as a pleasant surprise. And uh, going in with the recruiting process, though, they have some depth now, but I think that they really want to strengthen those numbers. And so you could see, you know, with defensive ends and defensive tackles all together, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they got five. Um, and again, considering that, you know, they can move guys around and it's not necessarily a bad thing either. That's true. And, you know, I, I, I said we switched to the defense, but I wanted to talk about some of the big guys on the offense as well. The offensive linemen, I forgot to mention those. We can kind of end it on that, I guess. Um, for the offensive line, it seems you know there's a couple of commitments out there that, that didn't go USC's way. Some of the bigger names that were on USC's board, the pool of offensive linemen appears to be dwindling out there. What what's the current state right now for USC trying to recruit offensive linemen? Well, it's a lot of offers out of state, and the guys that have committed were regional guys. Still out of state, but you have Christian Westerman who uh, committed to Texas, which was a loss for USC. USC was uh, definitely the school to beat with him uh, at one point, really before the Pete Carroll change was made. Um, I, I think that uh, you know Matt Hagerty was a guy that USC was just kind of trying to get involved with. They offered him a little later than everybody else and weren't able to get him on an unofficial visit before he committed to Notre Dame. So those are two big losses. But again, it's April. Um, you know, now we're in May. I think that the way this recruit, the way this coaching staff has recruited, their mentality, how aggressive they are, and, and really what they did down the stretch last year, yeah, I don't know if you want to count them out with anybody. I, I, and I think with recruiting as fluid as it is, I think nowadays you kind of take a deep breath with even the commitments that USC gets because these kids, you know, they're going to take visits still and things change when a kid gets on campus and he sees other schools. And so, you know, with a guy like Hayerty, you know, we'll kind of see what happens with Notre Dame next year. Um, you know, Westerman, we'll, we'll see what happens with Texas. I think Westerman going to Texas is pretty solid, but you know, with Hayerty, we'll kind of see how the new coaching staff is and, and what happens at Notre Dame. Um, a lot of the other names that USC has, they're going to be putting at this this point in time, a lot of eggs in the basket out of state. I mean, they've got uh, uh, quite a few offers now out to the Midwest. Uh, you know, guys like Donovan Clark, who just got an offer. Um, Kyle Kerbison has got an offer. Uh, there's certain guys out there that, you know, we, it's kind of hard to tell what kind of interest they have in USC and how, you know, serious they are about USC until they actually take those unofficial visits. And right now, the bulk of those guys are out of state, so that's what you kind of have to wait on. But, you know, the main evaluation period, again, you know, they're going to go out and they're going to see a guy like Cyrus Hobby in person. You know, maybe they see him in person and then they just fall in love with him. He gets an offer and he's a guy that's, you know, closer in. He's a guy that would be more apt to commit early. Uh, they've already evaluated Marcus Martin in person, and that's a guy that was very good at the uh, at the Nike camp and showed good feet, showed good balance, showed good athleticism for guys really out of shape and, and needs to kind of tighten up a little bit, but you can project him and look at him and go, you know what, we bring him in the program, we get him on a you know diet, get him on a, a good workout routine, a really college workout program, and he's going to look this way. You know, he's not going to be overweight anymore. We're going to get him to where he needs to be. And how much better is he going to be once he gets that uh, that workout plan and, and kind of gets his feet into an actual regime, you know, an actual routine. So those kind of guys, you know, we're going to have to see how that projects and comes out down the line here in the main evaluation period. And, and I think that's a big thing. I think that's really where the camps also come into play and getting to see how these guys, you know, body-wise, how they're able to kind of handle themselves. Because right now, I mean, 
you know, when you look at a kid and you offer a kid and he's uh, 6'5", 310, one kid who's 6'5", 310 next to a, another kid who's 6'5", 310, I mean, they're both the same weight on paper, but you see them in person, they could be totally different kids in terms of their body. I mean, one kid can legitimately play right tackle, the other kid you say, no way, he's got to be a guard. So that's going to be something that, you know, down here through the process, uh, it's going to really affect who USC goes hard on and who they have a chance on because, again, it depends on how hard and aggressive USC can be on these offers. All right. Well, Gerard, ec- excellent stuff, as always. You know, you're, you know you're recruiting like nobody's business. Thank you very much for sharing all those insights. Great stuff today. No problem, man. Thanks for having me, as usual. And before I let you go, I just want to make people aware. Um, USCfootball.com is part of the Rivals.com network. And Rivals.com is based in Brentwood, Tennessee, which is just outside of Nashville. That entire area has been devastated with some horrible rain and flooding over the past several days. Um, friends that I know at Rivals and my fiance Jana, is, is from the Tennessee area as well. A lot of her family and friends. Tons of people have been displaced because of these floodwaters. I mean, they showed pictures of a video of a building floating down the interstate. I mean, just bridges have just torn apart. Uh, flood water levels have raised like 30, 40 feet. I think a couple dozen people have lost their lives and so many people have been displaced from their homes. And it hasn't really been a big national story. I think they just made it a uh, state declared a state of emergency there nationally. But I just want to make people aware of that. And if you want to help out, I think you can go to redcross.org and, and you know, you can, donate some money or some time or whatever you can do. Uh, but just, just want to make people aware of that there's some pretty horrible devastation going on down there and hasn't really been a big national news story yet, but a lot of the uh, rivals.com family has been touched by this devastation. We just want to make people aware and say it, send our thoughts and prayers with everyone down there who's been suffering. Thank you very much for listening. This is the Peristyle podcast and we will talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 